Now is the time to apply and register for classes. Spring semester starts January 19th at MSU Denver Online. Time and time again, the one thing that will protect you against economic downturn is an education allowing you to adapt into varying careers. Go and build your toolbox at MSU. MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. MSU Denver is the Colorado institution providing rigorous and affordable online programs taught by professors who bring the real world into the classroom. MSU Denver graduates use their relevant degrees to land coveted jobs. It's a great place, a great institution. Check it out right in the heart of Denver, MSU Denver Online. Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to a notebook edition of the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Adam Matas. If you're new to this, after games, we always do the live lounge with all of our DNVR crew. Immediately after games, we do those live on YouTube um, and also release them as a podcast. But the day following games, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, I will be bringing you a solo pod where I go through the games, do a rewatch, do a deep dive, and provide detail notes. Usually it's accompanied with the list. Uh, a film study deep dive. I talk about a bunch of clips and then I'll put those clips up for DNVR members, which of course you can become a DNVR member for just $5 a month. Go to the, the DNVR.com. You get access to all of our premium content, including the list. But today, no list, just going through the notes. And because it was game one, didn't want to leave you hanging. I know it's Christmas and everything, but I, I, I thought you guys would want to kind of get into some of the more detailed notes, not just immediate reaction of this game. So let's get into it. Um, the very first thing, of course, was Michael Porter Jr. picking up foul troubles. This game was as much defined by Isaiah Hartenstein and Michael Porter getting fouls as it was by Jamal Murray just completely being a no-show. I mean, both of those things are, you could probably whittle the entire, if you ask why did the team lose, those would be the reasons. All of the other reasons sort of spiral off of those things. And to start the game, you know, Michael Porter hits a couple buckets. I think he, you know, might have gone off for 30-plus points tonight if he was able to play, uh, you know, a little bit more minutes. But um, the reason he gets into foul trouble, or one of the reasons, one thing is that the game is just so fast to him. I mean, like, every everything's happening he's still like slow to process what's going on on the defensive end, which is strange because he's fast to process what's going on on the offensive end more often than not and with rebounds and things like that. But on the defensive end, he's just so slow to react, but more importantly, he's not strong enough still. I mean, he's added some weight, but you know, at just, you know, 21, 22 years old, he still has a long way to go in that regard. And Harrison Barnes, a veteran, a strong player, he kept ducking in on him. He kept cutting into the chest of him off ball. And then, you know, just kind of using that strength to bully him. And I think that as much as anything is why he ended up find, finding himself in foul trouble. So another one of those things that Michael Porter, I think, is going to have to learn as his career unfolds is just how important it is to be strong and learn how to use your strength. It's not always, you know, Michael Porter's a tall, thin guy. I think he can add muscle, um, but a lot of it is just learning how to use the muscle that you have and use your body. And, and, you know, when somebody's banging into you, how do you, you know, position yourself so that you're not fouling, but that you are not being pushed over either. And he has a lot of those like lessons to learn. So he picks up two fouls. And like I said, that just changed everything. I don't think Michael Malone was mentally prepared for how certain injuries would affect the the rotations behind them. Yes, they had Will Barton who could step up into and basically replace Michael Porter, no loss there. But as you got into the staggered lineups, you really started to get to some lineups that I don't think Denver's going to experiment with much uh, going forward. And I think they were as a result as much of Denver just not having bodies as they were Michael Malone wanting to go to some of those lineups. Um, 
Denver is, they were getting so many nice transition buckets early on, and this has been a point of emphasis for Denver. Of course, there is offensive rebounding and transition are sort of two sides of one coin. They don't always have to be, but they often are in that the more you look to make to get out and run in transition, the less likely you are to solidify offensive or the defensive rebound, keep the other team off of the offensive glass. And the more you put an emphasis on not letting the other team get rebounds, the less you are able to run. And I think Denver in their first unit struck a great balance with that and their second unit. And then after the second unit, including when the first unit came back in in the set in the second quarter, I just felt like it kind of started to unravel from them a little bit, but early on, I really loved the way they were getting fast break um, buckets, Gary Harris, Jokic to Gary Harris, full court passes. You just had a lot of great things going on in the fast break department. I think it needs to be a staple um, for Denver going forward. Jokic. I mean, this game, it was it was pretty incredible. At the end of today's show, I'm going to talk about the like handful of games I can remember where Jokic played this well and the team did not win. And because this was one of those, I mean, usually when Jokic gives this kind of effort, Denver, it's like a no brainer that Denver would win. He was so locked in, you know. It just he was always doing something in this game, and that's not always true of Jokic. You know, there are plays where Jokic takes his you know foot off the gas pedal or you know rebounds maybe he could have had if he would have gone from this game I'm telling you he was so like aggressive and not just aggressive looking for a shot aggressive in every aspect every cut every screen like he just every rebound well I guess that's the one thing I would say rebounding he, he let a couple go so maybe that maybe that's one area you could look at and say he wasn't totally locked in but just the amount of effort Jokic put into this game I would say is more than the average for him for a regular season game I don't know if it was just because it was the first game or what but he really put a lot into it and was fantastic. He was getting the ball wherever he wanted and going where he wanted. So whether that was off the dribble, one of the things that I already notice about him, we talked about this lighter frame. What does it mean? One of the things that I already notice is that he's able to get guys off of the dribble. He had one with Harrison Barnes on him at the foul line, and he gives a little pump fake and go, it, which, you know, he's a center. Barnes should be able to, like, shadow him very easily, and he beats him off the dribble and draws a foul. So off of the dribble, I can already tell there's some handoffs where he would fake the handoff and then go, um, and just more confident with his, like, bursts of speed, as weird as that is to say, uh, really using that to his advantage. And then with his passing, I mean, his passing was just so on point. This was one of his best passing games that he's ever had. 14 assists, and it could have been a lot higher. He just... He was th delivering the ball. He always has one or two of these per game, but he had like eight or nine of those just incredible deliveries off of tough passes. He just was in such control of what he was trying to do. Um, I really don't think you can lay this game too much at his feet. Um, Barton, Will Barton comes into the game for Michael Porter. He makes a great end, uh, fast break bucket, really tough bucket, um, finishes at the rim but loses a shoe. And Jamal Murray picks up a foul to stop the five on four. This is one of those things you don't notice in real time because you're not thinking about Jamal Murray, you know, fouling out. But it was one of those things that when you rewatch it, you go, oh man, that's how Murray picks up his first foul is off of a, you know, just trying to help Barton get his shoe back. Really one of those crazy coincidences. Um, the Nuggets then go to that three point guard lineup, Barton, um, um, Jokic originally, so three point guards plus Barton, who's basically like half a point guard when he wants to be, and then Jokic. Um, they did it just for a couple possessions before Hartenstein came back in. Don't know how much I love that lineup. With Jokic, I think you can get away with just about anything, so I like it there and in that moment. You know, of course, the story tonight was that Jermichael Green not available. It looks like he's not available on Christmas Day. So 
I think that there's going to be moments for Denver to experiment with one or two minutes here or there. Denver ended up playing those, you know, we, we joke, call it the mini lads, four point guards. Um, I guess we you also call it the Bubba Gump lineup, all those different lineups, because that's what Michael Malone said in the preseason. It's like Bubba Gump, all, every type of shrimp, every type of point guard. Um, but they go to that, and I think it works if you just do it in small boat door, uh, doses. They then go to Isaiah Hartenstein with it. And one of the things that happened in this game, I talked about the transition rebound battle. Well, one of the things that happened was Denver was just too small to grab rebounds with that lineup, including offensive. And then if they ran their offense, so you have Isaiah Hartenstein and four guards. You run your offense and you get a switch. And now Hartenstein has a little guy on him. Well, if you don't convert those buckets, and Denver wasn't converting them, well, now you have an already mismatch in transition, right? Hartenstein needs to sprint back and find whoever the, the center is. But even before after that, You've got a power forward out there. It was Bielitsa a lot of the time at the second unit, although there were moments when, you know, you were still going up against more traditional big lineups and, and Denver had small guys out there. But if you have Hartenstein who switched out and now say he has to switch out onto, um, you know, somebody else, anybody else just to stop a fast break, well, now you've got two bigs and four point guards for Denver, four point guards who have to match up with two bigs, and that just kept happening. So they gave up a lot of offensive rebounds and second-chance points with that lineup, and they gave up a lot of transition buckets because guys were just so out of sorts. Sometimes it was, you know, you could think of that easy B elite layup that he got in transition that was against this lineup, and it was just one of those ones where all the guards look for the nearest guard. Like, you stop the ball, everybody else looks for the nearest guards. Compazzo's not looking around and thinking, ooh, I've got Bagley, or ooh, I've got, you know, Bielitsa. Same goes for Monte Morris. Those are very unnatural switches. And it just felt like in transition, Denver was always in position to have to make one of those switches. So that's one thing that I look at in that lineup and go, yeah, I don't know how much more Denver can trust that one. And I think they're going to have to rely more on, obviously, Jamichael Green, Isaiah Hartenstein. We're going to talk about his foul trouble here next, but, you know, he goes out. They might have to go to Zeke Naji or Bol Bol, and just as much as those guys are raw, I can't imagine it being worse than, um, you know, more, more vulnerable, I should say, from what you saw in that second unit. So that small lap ball lineup killed on the boards, killed in transition, um, and it was a real, real problem. MP MBJ's shot making is absolutely insane. He's the best shot maker on the team, and I know that's crazy to say because Jamal Murray is a hell of a shot maker. Jokic is a hell of a shot maker. But Michael Porter, just his ability to... I mean, part of it is he makes tough shots easier because he's so tall and so athletic. So his ability to just elevate, kind of fade away and, get, you know, be able to take the shot is so great. But so many of his buckets are just tough, high level, um, you know, the type of buckets Denver needs, quite frankly. You think about Gary Harris, if he's moving at all when he, like, steps into his three, you have no confidence with it. Jamal Murray... You know, he he can, especially when he's hot, but not like his average, just his peaks, he can do this. Will Barton, a little bit of this. Denver doesn't have that many guys that are like a Bertons, um, like a Clay Thompson, where they can just like be sprinting, catch the ball, go into their shooting motion, and you feel good about it. Michael Porter's one. It, I mean, he it doesn't almost, it almost doesn't matter what angle he has to elevate at. He gets high enough, he scores his body, and then the jumper looks great. And that's a huge weapon for Denver. They haven't even gotten close to unlocking it. And this is why I think Porter has this unique value. If you have a Bertans type player or a Kyle Korver or a JJ Redick, one of these elite three point shooters who also is great at like sprinting into the catch and then elevating, what that does is it multiplies your gravity. What, it, what I mean by that is if you're a spot up shooter, teams feel like they can go off of you a little bit and they got to road and close out. Okay. You have some gravity there. Once you start moving, not only do teams feel like they have to play you closer, but they also feel like they have to close out 
out at you harder because you're on the move and it's just like every, every it's a moving target now. And so being able to do that, even if this is why I don't mind some of Michael Michael Porter's maybe the only one on the team, Jamal Murray the other one who I don't mind them taking quote unquote bad shots. You want them to figure out when to take you know bad shots or tough shots and when not to, and you certainly don't want. There's a time and place for it. Denver up eight points. That's a great opportunity for you to say, okay, let me see. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to kind of quick trigger here because you knock one or two of those down, as Michael Porter did in this game, and all of a sudden the whole defense starts to shift harder and harder and it opens everything else out. So finding that balance is really tough, especially for a young player and especially for a guy like Michael Porter. I heard on a somebody say on a show, I can't remember who it was, but it was a great line that Michael Porter believes in his heart that he should take every shot and he's almost right. He's almost correct. And it does feel this is the thing like he's good enough to take tough shots but he has to understand that so is Jokic so is Murray and it's always better if you guys learn how to win when and where to take them but that being said I'd like I like Michael Porter taking some of those tough shots because he's such a great tough shot maker quick break to tell you about Hassle Cattle Company guys Hassle Cattle Company it means hassle-free meat that's right we bought you damn good beer now we're delivering to you damn good beef I'm serious about this guys we got the sample I'm telling you it's fantastic Hassle Cattle Company, absolute best source for farm-to-table Wagyu beef in the country. Hassle Cattle Company is a fourth-generation, you know I love the the mom-and-pop shops, the the family-owned stuff, fourth-generation cattle farm out of Texas. They ship all over the U.S. of A and straight to your door. They call their beef the blue-collar Wagyu. Why? Because it's the best damn Wagyu that every man or woman can afford. Hassle Cattle Company offers Wagyu smoked sausage, New York strip, beef bacon. I had the bacon uh, like two days ago. Super thick, like ham-sized bacon. It was so thick and delicious. Wagyu Frank without any fillers. Two jerky flavors, original and sweet and spicy. Uh, Their Hamburger One Food Network's Northeast Burger Jam. Not only do we love their beef, the country loves their beef. These guys take their registered bulls and breed (laughs) breed them with Angus cows, giving you the very high-pride product that is grown with zero antibiotics and hormones so head to hassle cattle company that's h-a-s-s-e-l-l two s's two l's h-a-s-s-e-l-l cattlecompany.com and use promo code dnvr10 for 10 percent off your order that's dnvr10 for 10 percent off any orders over 200 dollars, you receive free shipping that's right it comes straight to your door it's the wave of the future guys get with it hassle cattle company also going to tell you guys you know about our our partners DraftKings, DraftKings sportsbook Basketball season's here. Teams are looking, uh, you know, to retool, revamp. Denver obviously trying to get back from this 0-1 start. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, has rolled out another one of their can't-miss offers. Trying DraftKings Sportsbook is easy, so what are you waiting for? Get in on the action now and celebrate the return of basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new players 100 to 1 odds on any featured matchup this week. It's anyone, 100 to 1 odds. It's, it's telling you guys... All these bets, you're signing up for free. You get a free, like, this is 100 to 1 odds. You're going to make so much money off this. All you have to do is bet $1 on any featured matchup this week, and if your team wins, you cash in a crisp $100 bill. I'm telling you guys right now, you want to bet. Jokic's numbers are also low in DraftKings right now. Um, he, I made three, two Jokic bets yesterday. He hit both of them uh, within the first half of the game. Uh, Paul Millsap hit his over on threes. It was 0.5. He hit that in the first two minutes of the game. I'm telling you guys, free money right now. So uh, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Get that 100 to 1 odds on any featured matchup. It's code DNVR. Get 100 to 1 odds. Uh, must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? 1-800-522-4700. So Hardenstein gets into foul trouble, and this is a big deal. Um, 
you know, when you're short Jet Michael Green already, now you get Hartenstein with three fouls. This was the knock on Hartenstein. You think about, okay, he has all these skills. He looked great in the preseason. I still like his game. I think there's a lot of potential there. But you think, why hasn't he stuck in the NBA? Well, one of those reasons is just that he fouls a lot. And look, he got a tough third one. I thought the first two were legit. This, the third one I thought was like pretty iffy. But it was also a little bit of an uncoordinated offensive foul where he caught the rebound. She needed to go up quick with it. But he's, you know, he's not like a fast twitch athlete. He's kind of slow and uh, as much as he has really good touch and he has some athleticism to him, he's still a little bit like makes movement slow. And he ends up just getting like char charging right through a guard who took a, you know, took a flop, refs bite on it and he gets his third foul. But this was huge. So you have no Jermichael Green. You got no Isaiah Hartenstein. I don't, Malone, for whatever reason, didn't want to trust in, in Bull Bull in this game. Didn't want to trust in Zeke Naji, any of the other options that they had. And so now Jokic is back in, and this concerns me because we talked about Mason Plumley and whatever you thought about Plumley last year, he was a guy that was reliable, okay? I think Isaiah Hartenstein is going to have higher peaks than Mason Plumley. What I'm not certain of is, is he going to be as reliable as Mason Plumley? You might not have liked all the Plumley post-ups or this or that, but you knew, okay, Jokic, you get your bre your breaks today. You get to take this, you know, couple minutes off. Instead, Jokic back in, and it's the first game of the season, thank God. But the more this happens, you know, you don't want Jokic up into 42 minutes, you know, too often. You don't want to see those types of things happen. So this was a bummer. Then Michael Porter picks up three fouls. So now you have a guy 6'10 and Michael Porter who can play your power forward if you need to, you know, if you're going to stretch it. And I think Denver, by the way, their plan was to play Michael Porter at power forward more than they did. But he picks up a foul. Hartenstein picks up a foul. Michael Green's out. All of a sudden, you're into a point where you have just tiny guys or Bull Bull. And Michael Malone didn't want to, you know, that he, Bull Bull sort of that breaking uh, break glass in case of emergency. He didn't want to do that in this game. And so now you get into a sticky situation that really affected the rest of the game. Jamal Murray is short on a lot of his shots. Uh, slow burst, low on his vertical. I mean, all of these things. And then he shows up on the injury report today with a left calf strain. And, I mean, I think it was obvious. You could just tell that his body didn't look great. And I got to say... It's funny because for years we've had, okay, Jokic shows up to camp. He doesn't look like his best. He's going to play himself into shape, this or that. Now Jokic comes in. He looks fantastic. Jamal Murray showed into the bubble. He talked about all that muscle he had gained. He looks back to not having any more of that muscle. He looks back to being a little bit like he can't get past guys. He doesn't have his quickness. He looks. It's almost like him and Jokic swap places, and it's kind of frustrating. Of course, this was only one game. Let's wait and see what happens in these next ones. But Jamal Murray certainly looks either injured or just like he's not you know, near in the form and shape he needs to be in to compete with guys like De'Aaron Fox, um, you know, so like Corey Joseph. he Jamal Murray was not one of the 10 best players in the game, uh, it, uh, this game number one, and that's crazy. It's absolutely crazy that he that this isn't even a controversial statement. I'm not sure where he would have ranked on the Nuggets players if you just, I mean, Jokic, Michael Porter, uh, Paul Millsap, Will Barton even. Will Barton, very up and down game. Had a great first stint. It was it took some some bad shots later on, but it's still better than than Jamal Murray, who didn't really give you anything. He had all those free throws, and a lot of those free throws were you know technical foul, uh, defensive three seconds, uh, fast break where somebody just wrapped him up. But I mean, it was just he happened to be the guy that gets wrapped up, so it wasn't even like shots that he was creating the foul on. Um, he just had a really really rough game and. I worry about him, especially seeing how slowly he moved and just how much he could not elevate uh, in this game. Even the dunk he had, you know, we've seen Murray with some of these like poster dunks, and this one like barely snuck that one in. Um, and then I just talk about Jokic being so comfortable on the court, knows exactly where he wants to go, knows where everybody is. I posted this one on Twitter. RJ Hampton actually uh, like quote tweeted it, laughing about how ridiculous it was. 
there's this play with Will Barton in the corner. Jokic takes three dribbles, never once looks over. I mean, he knows where he is, and then rifles a pass over there. So basically five seconds go by, three dribbles from Jokic, and then he throws a no-look pass. The whole time he's just walking the defense into where he wants, knowing where his teammates are. This is why high IQ players are so important with Jokic. There's certain spots on the court you're just supposed to be. There's certain ways to stretch the court, and a defense does this, you do this. Jokic can do that blindfolded, meaning he just knows, like, if I go here, I know that the defense moves this way, and I know that my guys are supposed to be here or there, and the guys that he has the most chemistry with, and by the way, Will Barton's one of those guys, he just knows where they are, and he has just such an incredible pass, and and, and this is why Denver has valued high IQ players so much as you know, Jokic can do play this game blindfolded if you have smart enough players around him. Um, I can't imagine anybody in the NBA playing better than what Jokic did. I'm telling you, man, this is this is his moment. I hope the Nuggets are ready for all the guys around him because he just, to me, looks like, um, I mean, people think it's sacrilegious to say. I think he looks like Larry Bird. That's how dominant he was. 29, 15, and 14 with three blocks. Give me a break. Um, creates wide open looks every time. I said he had 14 assists. He could have had 20. And even on the plays when he wasn't assisting, he had hockey assists. He had just plays where he bent the defense and got it where it was supposed to go, then got out of the play. He's just so fantastic at doing the exact right thing almost every single time. Um, the Nuggets did get beat on a lot of 50-50 balls in this game. And I know that's going to be one of the things that really grinds Malone's gears because you <laughs> Denver loses at the buzzer the tip-in. And Jamal Murray had a horrible game. Will Barton made some big mistakes down the stretch. Gary Harris couldn't throw the, you know, throw, what, what's the saying? If you're in a boat, you couldn't throw a rock out. I can't remember what it is. Anyway, well, he couldn't hit anything. He couldn't hit anything. And you had all these things happening. And then also the 50-50 balls and Denver still loses by one. If you change any one of those things, maybe Hartenstein doesn't get in foul trouble. Maybe Michael Porter doesn't get in foul trouble. Um, if you change any one of those things, they win. But the number one thing you can control without a doubt was just some of the 50-50 hustle plays. And Denver was getting beat to them all night uh, in that game. And I think that's that, that more than anything is going to be frustrating for the Nuggets, I think, when they go back and watch. And the one thing I expect them to improve upon heading into Christmas, uh, the Christmas Day, game against the Clippers um Malone um Malone subbed Jokic out this is another thing so I thought this was he didn't put um you know he was afraid to go big with anybody else and at the end of the half he subs Jokic out and he puts in a small he, he goes to a super small layup well what happens I think it's Bagley grabs a very easy offensive rebound like over PJ Dozier or something you're giving up a hundred pounds he gives up gets a very easy offensive rebound put back at the buzzer so the Kings get two Buzzer beaters, one at the end of the first half, one at the end of the second half. And this one in the first half certainly could have been prevented just with having anybody with size in there. I mean, Zeke Naji, trust him to go in there and just do one, you know, just box out. I think that would have been a fair thing. Um, so they just couldn't rebound in this game. And there was a lot of, you know, I talked about some of the reasons that that happened, but it wasn't all of them. Some of this was just even Jokic, the, the one complaint I think you can lobby at him, maybe the six turnovers, although I don't really care about that personally. He's going to have the ball a lot. He's going to have, you know, a handful of turnovers. But the rebounds, like there were so many plays where he just like, kind of turned and watched the rebound, bounced awkwardly, but went over his head where it's like, hey, man, if you're a little more dialed in, you get that. Murray wasn't making the cut read all night, and this is why I'm worried he might be hurt. Murray and Jokic have that perfect two-man game. There were moments in this game where Murray would scream for Jokic, and there was a lane for him. You guys know what this looks like. He screen, so Jokic is dribbling towards the sideline, and then you slip the screen towards the basket, and you have a wide-open dunk while the defense 
is in between the switch or they're trying to hedge or whatever. Jokic had an opportunity for him to do one, and he was almost like shook his head like, no, man, I can't do it. So that's what makes me worry that he's – because he, every time he had an opportunity to not cut, he would take it, and that tells me that you just don't want to, whether you're tired or whether you're injured or both or whatever. Um, in the second unit, Barton ate up way too much usage, and I think this is what people were so frustrated with. And this is where it's it, it, the whole rotation got out of whack, but you have four point guards out there. You could play that tiny lineup. Well, Will Barton in that lineup to me is more of a floor spacer and secondary ball handler. So much he played the role of lead ball handler. And everybody seemed to think that's what his role was going to be. I don't I don't know. We'll have to see how the second game goes when you have maybe a more normal rotation. You have true bigs in there. Maybe it'll be a little bit different, but... In this game, he just ate up so much of the ball handling usage, and that put P.J. Dozier off ball. That put Faku Campazo off ball. Well, those guys aren't great off ball, and it really didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then on top of that, Monte Morris, who was fantastic against Portland and knocking down his shots, couldn't hit anything in this game, and that just gave another guy to kind of uh, make things difficult. I thought Michael Porter was leaking out too much. Uh, Scott Hastings did a great job of calling this out on the broadcast. This is, again, that balance between offensive rebounding and fast-breaking MPJ, Gary Harris, both at times got caught leaking out when they, they would have gone for the rebound. They would have secured it, and Denver would have gotten the stop. Uh, Jamal Murray, just atrocious on defense. He was as bad on defense, I thought, as he was on offense. Oh, that, maybe that's not true. He was really bad on offense. But he was bad on defense, too. Um, my, Michael Porter, another note I have in my notebook here, he had a great pocket pass to Hartenstein. He has some passing in his game. I'm, I have hope for Michael Porter as an all-around offensive player. I just... I know he has he's a he is a gunner like he does obviously prefer to shoot than to pass as Jokic prefers to pass than to shoot but he has passing in his game and um you know I, I there is a future I don't know if it's the future we're going to get but there is a future where Michael Porter is a very reliable playmaker and um you know I wouldn't be surprised if he was a five assist a game kind of guy uh if he you know if he can grow into that Nuggets fall down eight Jokic checks back in um, and oh, I love this play. Absolutely loved it. The Nuggets give up a big run. Nobody's scoring. The offense is horrible. The offensive process is bad. Fourth quarter, Jokic checks in. Jokic, one of the complaints, we've always talked about him not being aggressive enough or not being assertive enough. One of the things that will happen is you call his number and he makes the quote unquote right play. So whether, you know, Nuggets are like 0 of 10 from three. A guy is open for three. He's going to kick it out to him. And I don't know that that's the wrong play, to be honest with you. I still think that, you know, statistics will tell you that, you know, you you always make the highest leverage play. It doesn't matter what the momentum is. It doesn't matter what happened, you know, if you're at the casino and you are playing roulette and it's black six times in a row, it doesn't mean it's more likely to be red the next time. It means it's the same odds. And I think this that's sort of Jokic's process is he's always just a process over results guy. But what I loved was that he knew he could take his man, in this case it was Marvin Bagley, he knew he could take him one-on-one, -on -one, and he gets a pos into a position where they don't send the full double, but they send pretty much a double, leave Will Barton wide open for a pass, could have easily hit Will Barton, Will Barton would have had a wide open three. But instead, Jokic knows that this guy can't guard me, and I'm just going to take it right at him. He gets the foul, he gets two free throws, and it was one of those plays where it's like, was the right play the kick out? Maybe, in a vacuum. But he knew the moment, he knew the situation, and he took it. And I just think that's different from what we, some, than what we've seen of Jokic in the past. Like, that's an aggressiveness that, uh, the eye of the Joker, that I think is really just a, a, it's early, but I think it's something different about Jokic this year than in previous years.
Um, I really thought Jamal was going to wake up in the fourth when he dunked that. He gets one dunk as his only field goal, and I thought for sure, okay, here he goes. And maybe he would have had he not fouled out. One of the storylines to this game for me, it sucks that Denver appears to be starting off the season much like they have played for the last two or three years, which is to say they win a lot of games, but they win them all ugly. They they toy around, they don't take teams seriously, and then it gets to the end, and the Murray-Jokic two-man game just pulls it out. Well, what was different in this game is Murray fouls out. There was no opportunity for that to happen. Maybe it would have. Um, in fact, I would bet money. If you told me I could peer into the looking glass and see what happened had Murray not fouled out, I think they win. Um, but that didn't happen in this game because he fouls out, and then you have to go to the Barton-Jokic two-man game, which didn't have the same effect, and then a bunch of a million other random things happened in this game that were just un many um, unfortunate um ball bounces wrong way call goes the wrong way for denver um and that happens but i thought murray was going to wake up and have a terrible game and then a great fourth quarter didn't happen um everybody keys in on will barton and look i see it and this especially on rewatch you see like okay there were some of these shots that you know, those weren't his shots to take, especially when Jokic was just dominating his matchup. And Jokic had one really bad turnover, I think, in the fourth, or maybe it was overtime. But outside of that, there is a, a feeling of, hey, just keep feeding him until he doesn't score because he's scoring or getting fouled every time, so you might as well keep going. And Denver didn't do that. They tried to keep him a little bit more honestly and had some success with it, some not success. But it sure felt like if Jokic shot the ball 10 times, he would have made it 10 times. But it wasn't just Will Barton. Gary Harris took a horrible three-pointer. Actually, two horrible three-pointers where it was another one of those time and place. Five minutes to go in the game. We're down five. Our offense hasn't been great. Maybe don't take the first three-pointer available when you're not completely open and there's no rebounders. He does that. Michael Porter took a couple questionable shots, although Michael Porter made some of his, not all of them, but he made some of them. And Will Barton, same thing. Just guys being a little too aggressive in the wrong moment. And, you know, so of course we heard from all the fans, everybody hates Barton for whatever reason, but I thought it was a combination of Barton, Harris, and MPJ in, in that fourth quarter. Um, Jokic had a nice few connections with Michael Porter in this game, including on what I thought was going to be the go-ahead bucket in the corner. But it's a good sign because I've talked a lot about how I think Jokic gets frustrated with Michael Porter. And you could see some of this. He trusted him in this game. I mean, he was going to him a lot, and he trusted him in big moments. And I think that's a really, really positive sign. Um, Halliburton hits back-to-back -back three. I really like uh, Tyrese Halliburton, by the way. I liked him going into the draft a lot. I love that pick. It might have been my favorite pick of the entire draft because he fell so far. He hits back-to-back -back threes, and those are off of 50-50 plays. The first one was Gary Harris. Again, he takes one of those threes that I didn't love in large part because it was Gary Harris, but he was open, and he misses it. Ball goes down the other end. Tyrese Halliburton gets a fast-break three-pointer and drains it. The other one was a Gary Harris. Should have had the steal. Ball just bounces just outside of his fingertips. Denver's on the floor, ball goes to Tyrese Halliburton, and he hits it. Those are just huge plays, and that happens. That's basketball. Halliburton, I think, is a good, not great three-point shooter. He's, like, reliable but not phenomenal. He's like Monte Morris, you know. He hits both of them. Gary Harris, 0 for 2 on those plays, and it's just that, that's the way the cookie crumbles when you play with fire. Um, Jamal Murray fouled out, and by the way, he fouled out by getting his shot blocked. Just no explosion or strength with him. Goes to the basket, makes a horrible play, and then ends up – you know, the replay, they didn't show a replay. And the home broadcast, usually when they do that, means that it was a foul, so they didn't want to show it. But I didn't see the foul live, and they didn't provide, like, an alternative angle. But, I mean, I, I don't know, because we didn't see a replay of it. And then I mentioned that three in the corner. Jokic throws it to Michael Porter, and Michael Porter misses it. I bet he thinks about that one a lot on Christmas Day as he heads into play the Clippers. Um, and then the weakest call ever to end regulation. That call on Jokic was just such BS. And what's even more frustrating is the last two-minute report, which had four 
missed calls for that went in Sacramento's favor really would have changed the game for Denver, including the most egregious one, which was the overtime just slap on the arm that I just it's so frustrating. But I thought that they confirmed that call, and I thought that was I thought it was almost even more insulting that the last two minute report said that that was a push off on Jokic. Even whoever it was that was, I don't even remember who was on ball. Corey Joseph didn't even think it was a push off. Like it was absolutely an insane call for um, game right there at the final seconds of the game, especially on your All NBA player. Just really frustrating. But you know, it's first game for the refs too. Um, Jokic won the OT tip, the overtime tip, and the start tip. And I know this is a silly note, but I'm putting it in here. It's, it's just one kernel. This is the least most important evidence, but it's evidence nonetheless that Jokic is dialed in. Because last year, how many times did we see Jokic do the jump honestly, meaning that he just would jump straight, try to get the ball at its apex, and then like he gave no effort because guys are going to out-jump him. And both times, he's like focused at the ball and like trying to track it and, and early jump it and stuff. And it just makes me think he really is focused from tip-off to final buzzer. Um I mentioned Barton taking a shot when Jokic was cooking in overtime. Michael Porter made that in- incredible block that, in a more just universe, the uh, would have been the play that we talked about. Michael Porter wins the game on defense, sprinting out to the corner to block a wide-open three. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. Um, we could talk real briefly about the play that I think got everybody up in arms, which was Will Barton, the backdoor cut, and then he goes up weak with it, gets blocked by an incredible play by De'Aaron Fox, who really shows you how quick and athletic he is. He explodes to the rim um, and and catches Barton by surprise. I have people saying he should dribble it out. There's 13.2 seconds on the clock, okay? If he dribbles it out, the clock probably goes down, realistically probably goes down to 11 seconds. Almost no discernible difference. And then you have two free throws, of which he probably makes two, but, you know, it's 80% free throw shooter, okay? Versus if he gets a wide open layup, you know, then that's that's even better. It's almost no difference in time, and it's much more likely that he converts that to two points when you're talking about a dunk. He was going for a dunk. You figure he finishes dunks 95% of the time. Now, here's why I, fans that are just so irrational about Will Barton, just, here's here's the thing you have to know that you, how you know you're wrong. The play was designed for that to happen. They didn't run a play that had um, Will Barton darting towards the basket to dribble it out. If they wanted to dribble the ball out, they would have thrown the ball into the backcourt. They would have run a play the other way or whatever. His whole point in that play was to go to the basket, and if you're open enough to catch it, to elevate and go to the hoop. So if you want to be mad at Barton, don't be mad at him for a selfish decision to take the shot there. This isn't like Torrey Craig where there was you know, five seconds, it's transition, there's all these bodies around. That was different. That one you dribble out. And there's five seconds, six seconds, whatever it is. This one is a wide open, nobody in front of you, lane to the basket, You the play is called. It's not a steal, it's not a transition. It's a play that was designed to get you the ball, and he went up with it. Now, if you want to be mad at him, be mad that he took it up so weak. And maybe this is a sign that he's just lost. He's not a spring chicken anymore he doesn't have that same explosiveness he's going up against a guy in De'Aaron Fox who's you know seven years younger than him and is still in his like athletic peak and was just able to beat him but if you want to be mad be mad that he took it up soft be mad that he didn't use the rim to reverse be mad that he didn't pump fake whatever it is be mad that he didn't finish the play didn't make the shot but it wasn't in my opinion in any way selfish um so I, I thought that was kind of a frustrating talking point that that came out of this game but of course Harrison Barnes goes the entire other length of the court, ties it up, and then the turnover on the inbound, which, by the way, in the last two-minute report, the referee said, oh, yeah, oops, we missed it. Uh, in, in addition to the three other things we missed in the final two minutes, we also missed that Jokic was fouled on the inbound play that led to a steal that led to the game winner. 
are bad. Um, but what can you do? That's the NBA for you. Last break here. Going to tell you about WGT and the ho ho hole in one open at Aaron Hills Golf Course this weekend. WGT, what is it? Well, if you go to dnvrgolf.com, you can check out our app, the WGT Golf app, presented by Top Golf Media. It's incredible. It's very realistic. You get to play real courses. Um, it's right on your phone. It doesn't cost anything. And best of all, you get to join the DNVR uh, Country Club and play against us every weekend from Thursday to Sunday. We do a tournament this week, the Ho Ho Hole in One Challenge at Aaron Hills, and it's closest to the pin, nine holes. It takes like five to ten minutes, depending on how much you like really focus on it. But it's a lot of fun, and you never know. You might win. You might be that. You might take first place. It's kind of addicting, I guess. If there's one drought downfall, it's a little addicting. Um, but if you uh, if you do participate, so sign up, put the app on your phone, it's free, and then go to the country clubs and search for DNVR4. We've already got people in DNVR1, 2, 3 uh, country clubs. Now we're filling up DNVR4 country clubs. So go there, and then once you've joined the country club, you go to the country club uh, button, and then you click on the uh, tournament button, and you'll see the ho-ho hole-in-one classic participate when you're done screen grab your score screen grab your your score and shoot it over to our twitter handle at dnvr underscore sports it's our pin tweet is the uh, tournament you just reply to that one and you get entered into win free prizes including a free mask free t-shirt shipped directly to you so wg wgt golf check it out i love that stupid thing and then strava craft coffee you guys know about it what am i all about about the city of denver about the state of colorado I love it here, and I love local. Keep Denver local. We need it more than anything. In and out. All this COVID, you don't want to go there. Support your local companies, and that includes Strava Craft Coffee, who has this really cool thing. We've been telling you for years, when you use the promo code DNVR20, you get 20% off. Well, now you can subscribe. They have a subscription. They ship it straight to your door. You never have to buy coffee again. It just keeps arriving for you. Get on however much you drink in a month. Sign up for that. They'll send it to you, and you'll never have to worry about, do we have coffee? It's always there. And best of all, you save 20% when you use that Strava Craft Coffee subscription. It's fantastic. Strava Craft Coffee, CBD-infused Strava Craft Coffee. Uh, tastes great. It's made here local, um, and, and it has all those auxiliary benefits that CBD provides. CBD is not psychoactive, right? The CBD is just, you know, they make creams, they make lotions, they make different things. They've infused it into the Strava Craft Coffee, and it helps with IBS, it helps with migraines, it helps with back pains, joint aches, all that kind of stuff. Um, and you can get it in your coffee. So Strava Craft Coffee, check it out. Final segment here on the DNVR Nuggets podcast. Again, Merry Christmas to you guys. Don't forget to check out our post-game post -game show live after uh, the Christmas Day game against the Clippers. It should be fun one way or another. It should be interesting, whatever happens. Um, and you can wrap up your Christmas evening with us. I wanted to talk about Jokic. This game was so incredible. 29 points, 15 rebounds, 14 assists, 3 uh three blocks and he goes 11 of 18 from the field and it comes in a loss. And I wanted to think, okay, let me think back to all of the times Jokic has had like a, where does this rank amongst the best games that he's played where Denver hasn't won? Cause usually if you get a performance like this out of Yoke, it means Denver's winning. And I found, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 games that are all in the conversation here. So, um, Last season, we'll go just kind of in reverse chronological order. Last season, Jokic had a game of 10 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals, and was a plus 15 in 33 minutes against Dallas, and they lose that game. So a plus 15 alone is absurd. It gets a triple-double, 10, 10, 10, and 3, and they still lose. That's one. 
Um, also against Detroit last year, he plays 40 minutes. He's a plus 13 in 40 minutes, eight minutes without him. So plus 13, he goes 39 points, 10 rebounds, 11 assists, three steals, two blocks, and that plus 13, Denver still loses. And people forget this game. This was right around the time of the seven. This was when everybody was heard. I think this was February 2nd. And this was another one of those games. I might have been a back-to-back. I can't, or maybe it was the front end of a back-to-back. I can't remember. But Denver was just in such a rhythm. And Jokic in particular was in such a rhythm in this game. And it sucks that everybody remembers the Milwaukee game. Everyone remembers the seven. But they, that Detroit was the one that got away because they should have won that one. And Jokic's stat line was a, was monstrous. Um, You got Brooklyn. So now you go back two seasons ago, not last year, but two seasons ago, you get a game against Brooklyn, 37 points, 21 rebounds, three assists, one steal, two blocks, just fills up the entire stat sheet. They lose that one. You've got another game against Brooklyn last two seasons ago, 25 points, 14 rebounds, 10 assists. So a pretty monster triple double. Well, you know, 10 assists, but then 14 boards, 25 points. They also dropped that one. Brooklyn, man, they show up on this list three times. And then the playoffs last year, who remembers the four or two years ago, San Antonio game six, it could have been a game. Denver puts them away. Jokic goes for 43 points, 12 rebounds, nine assists. To me, this is probably it's this one or the next one or the best games of Jokic's career that weren't wins like this, that, that 43 point game. I just remember he was perfect. Like he was absolutely could not be guarded. Everything was right. He goes to the bench at the end of the third quarter and it's like a tie game. By the time he checks back in, they're down 15. It was it was a gut punch for that game to be wasted. 43 points. Uh, just incredible. And then also in that same playoffs against Portland, the famous quadruple overtime, 65 minutes. Gets 33 points, 18 rebounds, 14 assists. He winds up a positive. He plays all but three minutes of a game that goes into four overtimes. Heroic. 33 points, 18 rebounds, 14 assists, and Nuggets still lose. To this day, one of the more crushing losses. I mean, the Nuggets probably go to the Western Conference Finals that year if it isn't for that loss. Um, If we go back now even further and we get into his uh, third season, you get a game against Cleveland where he goes 36 points, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, and goes 12 of 14 from the field. So he only misses two shots in, in route to a 36-13 double-double um, with 6 assists, and they lose to Cleveland. You get a 29-point, against Toronto, you get a 29-point, 16-rebound, 8 assists, 2 steals, 1 block in 40 minutes, and Jokic is a plus 5, and they lose that game. So he sits for 8 minutes, dominates all 40 that he plays, Nuggets still lose. Um, and then you got another one. You guys remember game 82 against Minnesota, 35 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, 46 minutes, um, hits all of those big shots. Nuggets still lose. He was a plus seven. They lose by six. He only sat for seven minutes in that game. And, and sadly that was enough for Denver not to win that one. And then if we go back even further to his sophomore season against Charlotte, had a game 26 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists, goes 11 of 16 from the field triple monster triple double doesn't doesn't get it done and then the craziest one of the crazier ones on here i don't even remember this game but against brooklyn he is a 14 point 10 rebound three assists so not numbers don't really pop but he was a plus 18 a plus 18 in 22 minutes but the 20 minutes he didn't play not very good and the nuggets end up losing that one i can't imagine a guy being plus 18 and not winning that's that's insane so Jokic surprisingly has had a lot of these a lot of these i remember some of them i don't but this one this last game 29 points 15 rebounds 14 assists three blocks 11 of 18 from the floor and all the stuff he did just good enough to win 
but sadly his running mate not quite ready for the season hopefully he is on christmas night that's of course jamal murray we'll find out as the nuggets take on the clippers don't forget check out our post game show live on our youtube page just look for dnvr you'll find it and we'll be going live five to ten minutes after the game uh, finishes we'll be live from our studio thanks for tuning in everyone hope you have a great christmas and we'll see you christmas night one more time before we get out of here, letting you know about Strava Craft Coffee. The coffee with CBD infused right into it that helps you with back pain, migraines, headaches, IBS, whatever it is. And it tastes great, and it's made right here in Colorado. Local company, mom and pop shop. You know how much I'm about that. Keep Denver local. Keep it unique. Keep it the coolest, greatest state on earth. One of the best places to live, and that means supporting great companies that, that provide great products like Strava Crop Coffee. And you can subscribe now to their subscription service to deliver it straight to your door. You never have to worry, and you get 20% off when you do that. Figure out how much you want. Go to Strava Craft Coffee, order it, and they'll just deliver it right to your door. You'll always have your coffee, nothing to worry about. It's just like the DNVR subscription. You subscribe, you never have to worry about it. You know you always have access to everything that we're going on. You know that you get the member size beer. You know that you get all the deal of the week for members. You get all that cool stuff stuff you get to go into the the discord chat the lounge the dnvr lounge talk with other people fight free toxic free it's incredible strava craft coffee same thing local company and they take care of all the headache for you so check them out strava craft coffee